Hello and welcome to the Virtual Clinical Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Sunderland. This is a spot where nurses share their stories and their experiences to provide mentorship as well as help nurses and soon-to-be nurses just like yourself along the way. I hope you enjoy these episodes. Well, welcome to, excuse my voice, season four, <laughs> episode four of the Virtual Clinical Podcast. I am joined today by Susan Therese, MSNRN. She lives now in San Diego, but she's literally probably lived all over the world, at least all over the East Coast. She is also a poet, a nurse, a veteran. So I'm super excited to talk to my first ever veteran nurse. And I mean, military veteran, not, you know, a veteran, I'm now retired. And PR professional and recently published her second edition of her 1993 book, Poetic Expressions in Nursing, Sharing the Caring in 2021. Susan, welcome to the podcast. Why, thank you, Nicole. Great here, finally. Yeah, finally. We've had some scheduling, scheduling things going on, and my goodness, I'm, I'm so happy to finally have a chat with you today. So I ask everybody, the first question is, why did you become a nurse? Oh my goodness, it's a good question. I told my guidance counselor in high school, that I like people and I like science. I remember him asking me because I really didn't know. This is 19, graduating in 74 from high school. So at that time, nursing was pretty popular. Um, I did like science. I did have a gravitation to connecting with people. And uh, I also have an early childhood experience with my maternal grandmother who was 60 years old when she passed from complications of early Alzheimer's disease when nobody knew what it was. So I grew up from age eight to about 14 with this situation in our family. Um, My mom was in her thirties at the time and I had a baby brother from 63 on and and she started acting a little differently uh, gradually but it took several more years, doctor to doctor, finally diagnosed. And she ultimately was institutionalized for her safety in ours. Yeah. And so it was a traumatic experience for me as a child, but I knew that I had a good heart caring in my heart and um, grew up kind of matured quite early because of that early experience with my grandmother, who was my soulmate, by the way. Isn't yeah. that funny? I think my grandma is, is my soulmate as well. She's still living. And I just have this connection with her that I don't have with any other relative, like not even my mom, which it's okay, mm-hmm. right? But like grandmothers just for some reason are just the best people ever. And you never, there's something that, that happens when you get to know your grandmom and it's like a special touch and you never right. lose sight of that mo- most times, you know? Right. I do have a question. We are just on audio, right? Just on audio. Yeah. Okay. Cause I I'm ready no matter what, but you can see up in my uh, virtual screen here is grandma and me up on the right next oh, to Oh, that's my so nice. Majors. I was going to yeah. mention that to, to yeah. our listeners. Yeah. So, so we'll get to that. Yeah. yeah. So Susan has like all these things behind her. <laughs> these pictures that are so wonderful that we've been sharing a conversation now for probably about a good 20 minutes and mm-hmm. all these awesome photos. And I love when people want to share like their backgrounds visually, as well as tell stories. So you know what, go for it. Right. And also, okay. So before I knew I wanted to be a nurse, yeah. I wanted to be an actor. Same. I grew up, yep, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, yep. I grew up with a mom <laughs> who was a dance teacher and a professional singer. Um, and I, so I took lessons, dance lessons. That was my thing. I didn't do Girl Scouts or any other activities, but dancing school. I wanted to be an actress. And I remember my mother saying, you're going to have to knock on doors to be an actress. You're going to have to do a lot of work. 
it's going to be very competitive, blah, 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 blah. So I remember hearing all that. So long story short, I'm an actress now. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. it all worked out. But um, as far as nursing, I think grandma was the catalyst <laughs> that brought me into the nursing world. That's awesome. I, I too, I, so Susan and I have had email conversations and we've kind of had this like connection. Oh yeah. And I, I really didn't know like what kind of connection was going to be. I was like, okay, we have a connection. Like that's great. Right. Uh, but that's so crazy that, you know, you, you want to be an actress. I remember in my, in my childhood that I just, I wanted to be an actor for some, because I saw all the people on the magazines and my parents would never take me to to any kind of like actor studio or anything they're like no absolutely not and looking back is a really good decision that they did not do that because even though I lend my voice in this podcast I just the amount of things you read in news about the child actors becoming drug addicts or something else uh, yeah so yeah. disheartening and the level of abuse I'm like this is probably a good thing that I never went down that path looking back and my parents were like absolutely not about this whole thing so man that's so crazy now I have a daughter who's 23 that just graduated with her musical theater degree. So that's awesome. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. And, but she minored in gerontology. So oh. she's combining a little bit of art and science as well. Yeah. It's really kind of cool. It's really kind of cool. So no. um, go ahead. Yeah. I'm so sorry. No, go ahead. No, basically. So it comes full circle and it comes in different ways. And, you know, is my passion is being creative, yeah. whether it is acting, podcasts, uh, teaching, uh, I don't really cook that much in a creative way. I'm okay. Um, but I'm a nature photographer, it, you know, and I'm an actor. I've done theater. I so think awesome. people need to cultivate some kind of a passion that's creative in their lives, especially nurses. And oh, I hope you're all listening because <laughs> it's so important to take care of your stress and relieve your stress in a cathartic, therapeutic, you know, good way uh, yeah. as much as possible. Absolutely. The kind of life you live. Yeah. So, so did you take your first job in a hospital uh, or did you take your first job like somewhere else then? Yeah, I joined the military as a new graduate. That's awesome. I joined the Navy. Uh, so I was commissioned in the Navy in 1978 and I was stationed in San Diego where I am today. I'm back in San Diego. It was, you know, three years. Uh, and then I transferred to the Army Nurse Corps. So I was in the Navy Nurse Corps and then the Army Nurse Corps for the next nine and a half years. I was stationed, uh, gosh, where was I? <laughs> I mean, I started in San Diego and then Georgia and then California and then Korea, South Korea, wow. and then graduate school, got my master's and then Virginia. So I was in like six different places throughout that almost 13 years. Um, and I worked in, do you need to know where, like what clinical areas too, or if, if you want to share like help? types of I units, mean, that, yeah. that's absolutely helpful. Yeah. yeah. I started in a general medicine male ward, they call them in the Navy. So I, it was at least 20 to 30 patients on this open bay ward. Wow. Um, I was burnt out in my very first job. So this is, a key, this is a key point here, a pearl for today. I didn't know I was burnt out, but I was dealing with death as a 20 something year old and, you know, very, very chronic, I don't know, all different types of diseases away from home, you know, cross country and all that. And one day the nursing supervisor made rounds and she said, by the end of the day, I want you to tell me how much leave you're taking, which is vacation and where you want to work when you come back. Those two things. I was burnt out, didn't know it in my very first job. So I chose from general medicine, I went to cardiothoracic surgery, step down 
And so we prepared the patients for cardiac surgery, and then we got them back from the unit when they were finished in the ICU. Uh, so a lot of telemetry and things like that. So that was my Navy experience. And then in the Army, when I transferred, I was in surgical intensive care and recovery room or PACU. Uh, and then uh, I transferred to ER and nursing education, orthopedic surgery. And then in graduate school, I was in the um, adult nurse practitioner program at Seton Hall, clinical nurse specialist. Um, and then I was a, uh, let's see, instead of pursuing the NP track, because I was still in the military and they had sent me to school, um, I could have been a nurse practitioner in almost any place. They, they really needed them. But I chose to be a chief nurse in a large outpatient clinic in Virginia. And I did that as well as nursing education and in intensive care in that last duty station. So I've got a pretty diversified adult uh, yeah. med surge intensive care and nursing education background. Um, when I, and then I got out in 1990 and became a nurse entrepreneur. So after my, all my clinical in the military, it prepared me and my graduate degree prepared me to deal with change, relocation, reinventing myself, you know, the beginning of all that. Yeah. Based, based on where I was in, in the military, we moved about every year to three years in jobs and, and duty stations. So it fostered uh, a semblance of, okay, I can adapt. <laughs> okay, <laughs> what's Absolutely. next? Getting that itching of what, where am I moving to next? Now I'm luckily in the same place for 10 years here, around, I think it was 10 years here. Yeah, 11 years here in San Diego, but it's the longest place I've ever lived anywhere. So, and I'm old. <laughs> That's, that's awesome though. I mean, like, I, I don't think I've ever met somebody with that broad of an experience, even, even though you like, you kind of like, you know, had to move every one in three years. Right. But I just think about myself, you know, starting nursing, uh, back when I first did nursing school and experienced death for the first time. Mm -hmm. And this patient was normal for like the beginning of this week. And then like, just was this, this totally different person at the end of the week. I like, didn't know who he was, didn't know where he was was confused walking the hallways at night without us knowing about it, like all these things. And then like two days after he had passed and that shocked me to the bone Absolutely. because, because you, because no one teaches you about death and how, how can they, right? Because when you don't see it, you're not going to really take it and ingest it. And if you're like 20 some years old, it's not going to be a fair process in your mind. You're probably mm -hmm. going to have a large amount of dichotomy and like <laughs> stress about it and fight about it in your own self. And I, I always prepare my students, you know, who really want to go see a um, gift of life is what our organization process is called here. They want to go see this case happen in the OR. And I'm like, that's fine, but we need to, to decompress this once you're back. Absolutely. Because what you're going to see may affect you and you might not be okay with it. Right. You, I am as a nurse, I've been uh, on my unit for 11 years. I'm very much okay with brain death. Mm -hmm. I've gotten used to it. I've gotten over it. You know, I, I kind of, kind of have accepted that the body has already chosen its path when it's, when it's decided about brain death, right? Death after cardiac death is another type of thing that we deal with in donation processes. And those are significantly harder because you have to wait an hour for the patient to die in the OR before they can even take those organs. And sometimes that doesn't even happen. And so now you come back to a family that's been so like excited about the donation process to learn that their loved one hadn't died in time. And they oh. were into this room. It's a very difficult oh. emotional roller coaster you go through. 
Absolutely. It, it, it feels like you failed, right? You mm-hmm. prepare this person, you've done all this work and then it just didn't happen. And it just feels like a giant failure and it's so hard. So that whole thing that happened in your twenties, I try to like educate my students all the time that if you're feeling some sort of way anyway, let me know if you want to, I'm, I don't force anybody. Right. But you know, going through that process, digesting that process, letting it go hands down. One of the most important things Absolutely. that I think any new nurse could, could learn because you're going to step into units and you might see something that just shocks the living daylights out of you. And how are you going to handle that? Right. And also you teach uh, students of different ages. They're not always young coming right out of college uh, in their twenties. Right. I mean, there are some adults that you teach probably too, and they may have some life experiences to help the younger ones in your clinical groups and whatever. Hey, I've been through this or I lost my mom or whatever to help each other, you know, and cultivate a, a good feeling in each clinical group, as well as in lecture and everywhere. Nursing should be collegial and in good spirit always because we need each other. We need that emotional support. Absolutely. Uh, That's amazing. Yeah. Um, Gosh, I'm trying to think of my life here. It's it's so long. (laughs) It's okay if you can't think of your life. I I have a little paragraph for that. (laughs) I know what I wanted to say. After I got out of the military, I gave myself a present. Um, When I was stationed in Korea, a doctor friend brought the Myers-Briggs over and we were all doing it as like a um, informal thing. Well, I went to the class, the course to become a consultant with the Myers-Briggs as I got out of the military in 1990. And when I did our family and went to this course and saw that me, I was kind of an apple in a basket of oranges. I'm not a typical nurse type or a typical military type. I'm more of a creative entrepreneurial type. So for example, in a code situation, I'm the one that's got the big picture. Did you go to the lab, go with the parents, the family. I, I wasn't necessarily at the airway, but I was at the big picture. Does that make sense? That that was my, you know, I just wanted to make sure everybody was okay in every yeah. way. Yeah. Um, so I did that class, saw that I was entrepreneurial. And I said to my husband, I want to start a business. Okay. What do you want to do? Well, I like others and motivating others. I, I knew that I liked those two things. So I started a business called Prosper Development Systems. And it, the Prosper stood for professional, staff, personal in the word Prosper. So I, because in the military, I was staff development um, director. Um, I taught personal development and professional development courses for a junior college when I got out of the military. So it was all making sense to me. I was teaching all these courses about goal setting and values clarification and purpose. Even back then I was teaching about purpose. And that's the biggest mm-hmm. buzzword today, resilience, oh, change theory, blah, 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 leadership. It's, it's, all the, it's, it's different, but it's the same. And so I cultivated a list of all these programs and started doing uh, nurse entrepreneurship, um, teaching continuing education programs. I had a provider number on and off. Um, I would be invited to speak. I was a member of Sigma Theta Tau, and I was a distinguished lecturer for a year. Um, I lived in Sweden with my husband with one of his corporate positions. He was a CEO um, and uh, you know executive the whole time. And so I, I said, what, what am I going to do in Sweden? So I connected. <laughs> I first took a Swedish course for three weeks. So I learned enough on how to say hamburger and chicken and you know, bingo and things like that. But I also- Important, really important, okay. (laughs) uh, You know, you've got to have fun in your life. 
but I also connected with um, different universities and they had me speak and I did 17 continuing ed programs throughout Sweden. Wow. I would take the train all over. It was fantastic. Awesome. So I had, you know, I try in all my situations or I used to anyway, I'm still old now, but I tried to make something out of it, learn about it and try it and not be afraid. And you know what, if you don't do as well as you think, then that's okay. Go on to the next thing, yeah. but learn different things, be a lifelong learner um, and then share things with others. Don't make yeah. them reinvent the wheel which I've seen in my life a lot too. I, I like sharing. I'm yeah. very open and I don't know, maybe, maybe it's an impediment, but I think it's pretty good <laughs> to do. No, that's, that's so. so fabulous though. I mean, like I completely agree, you know, when, when we go to places and do new things, I haven't lived anywhere outside of Pennsylvania. <laughs> I travel outside of Pennsylvania, but I haven't ever like lived and experienced a place outside of Pennsylvania. So um, but even when I do travel places, it inspires me so much to want to do more, mm, you know, mm -hmm. and taking advantage of the opportunity that's in front of you instead of complaining about things. It's a really important value and also theme, I think, of our conversation, because mm. you can literally be in any kind of situation and make it better, right? You can be in any situation and, and be creative with it and literally live the art and science of nursing, which is what we're all taught in nursing school. Absolutely. Right? The art and science. Yep. And yep. make it so creative that it's become something that, you know, inspires other people, right? So for me, it's this podcast. For you, it's sharing your information via the book you wrote, via the podcast you do, the website teaching continuing education courses, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's so inspiring to, to really talk to other creatives because a lot of times I've tried to create with other people. And then unfortunately things kind of get taken, which is not fun. Um, but mm -hmm. those sort of things are, are kind of like problematic. But then I just think to myself, you know, I'm going to think of something else that's completely better than what I thought mm -hmm. of in the first place. Right. So knowing yourself is as, as important as doing the work and kind of sharing that knowledge too, you know? Absolutely. I think, and see, you're meeting people from all over, even if you are staying in Pennsylvania, you're being exposed to people, all diver diverse cultures, diverse people in areas. So kudos to you on what you do. I, I just think it's great. We need more of you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Let's, let's make more of me. Yay. <laughs> so from this prosper development system and becoming a nurse entrepreneur and starting a business, because I, I do want to ask this because some students do want to start their own business. Uh, and I don't expect you to like, you know, fully know this answer, but what were some of those hurdles that kind of happened when you first started a business and kind of like describe that process if you can? Well, I mean, it's, it's a scary phenomenon. Yeah. <laughs> and also how do you get people to know about you? And this right. is the 1990s, my dear. It's not no internet. No TikTok. No, no nothing. TikTok. <laughs> I'm on TikTok, by the way. I just gonna, joined a couple. I'm going to link all your social media profiles to this episode, by the way, just so just so well, we know. I'm not sure how good it is, but you know. But anyway, so I was a little bit, you know, a little bit shy about it. But I also, I, I also have chutzpah. I just have something in me that just goes for it. I'm not afraid. However, I don't bungee jump, so I'm afraid to do certain high risk physical like I couldn't do the triathlete stuff that you do I just couldn't do it but I will talk in front of 5,000 people fine you know so I needed to learn how to get the word out back then and there was no social media or anything like that so I joined a couple of organizations I remember doing that like the chamber of commerce uh, nursing groups a nursing educators group and such and I would just talk to people and say would you like 
a course on this or that or I mean I really don't even remember there might have been some email back then <laughs> yeah but not that much somehow we got the word out um and then confidence came confidence came each year um sometimes being an entrepreneur things are busy sometimes things drop off mm -hmm. so it's a good time to take a break I've learned many things from being an entrepreneur and I would not trade it for the world it is in my spirit uh, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. My mom was a dance teacher, had her own studio at age 17 that had 500 or so pupils, uh, was handed it, it, it was handed to her. So this is way back when. My dad is in real estate and insurance. They're both oh, in yeah. their mid eighties, they're alive. Uh, and my grandfather was in advertising. Uh, so I come from that kind of a spirit and um, I'm kind of glad about it because it just fits me. It's not yeah. for everybody. You have to have thick skin and you must be able to take rejection or just, you know, some people are just not into it and they will not right. call you. Um, some will badmouth you for no reason and make things up. Because they're jealous, right? I haven't had that. I'm, I'm lucky. Uh, yeah, but um, slowly but surely, and I've developed with my businesses too, from doing the specific, you know, continuing nursing education. I've done legal nurse consulting as an entrepreneur as well. Oh, yeah. Um, I've done uh, going in and preparing uh, organizations for joint commission surveys. This was back in the 90s and all. So when, um, well, 91 is when I started writing poetry. I didn't know if you wanted to know that story here or later. Oh, I, I, that, I, fit it in. I, yeah. I, I think that story can, can go great with, with burnout. Um, but wherever you, you want to talk about it is absolutely yeah. fine. Absolutely. It's, it's led me to where I am today. In 91, I went to see the movie Awakenings with my husband. Robin Williams and Robert De Niro in that movie. And there was a character in the movie named Lucy that caught a ball, a red ball, and she was sitting in a wheelchair. And she reminded me of my grandmother, my maternal grandmother who had Alzheimer's disease <clears throat> and had died 20 years prior in 1971. I was crying in the movie theater. It just something came over me. And then a couple of days later, uh, my husband was on a business trip and I just couldn't get to sleep this one night. I kept thinking about the movie, the movie, the movie, and this character. Mm -hmm. Because my, my my grandmother kind of wasted away at the end and, and you know, was mute and vegetative and all. Yeah. And so I took a bath. I couldn't get to sleep. I had a glass of wine. I couldn't get to sleep. I just couldn't get to sleep that night that he was away. So I grabbed a journal that he'd given me the year before at, at the holiday time. And I sat on the couch and this poem poured out of me, three pages long, rhyming wow. in time. And it was from childhood up until 20 years later as a nurse reflecting on the whole thing. It was crazy. Isn't that amazing? It was crazy. I was sitting there crying and laughing and remembering and having a visceral, visceral moment with this thing. Okay. So the next day I called my mom. She was in New Jersey. I was in Florida at the time where we were living. Called her up, read the poem. To, I said, Ma, can I read this poem to you? She started crying on the phone, said, please, I want you to share this with everybody. It's closest thing to what we went through back then. So I said, okay, really, Ma? You know, because she's a, she's a tough cookie. Yeah. And so at that time, I took my chutzpah and I would ask different groups I was in if I could read this poem. And people would come up to me crying, needing tissues, saying, my wife, my aunt, my grandmother, my husband, all their stories from this one poem. It was crazy, but it felt good. It felt good because I reached them in the heart with a poem. Like it was absolutely an incredible, different kind of an experience, okay? So um, <clears throat> after that, I kept writing. 
So at the time I was doing um, assistant director of nursing and infection control with that role as well. And we had several patients that had, uh, I guess, HIV at the time. It was kind of new. AIDS was fairly new mm-hmm. in medical records. And so I just kept thinking about, boy, what these people are going through. And there weren't that many meds then. So I wrote some poems about HIV, but it was called, the poem was called On Sunsets because I was thinking about, yeah. gee, when I see a sunset, it's just so gorgeous. It gives me inspiration for the next day. What about somebody with HIV AIDS? Yeah. I mean, like sun no more, you know, that kind of thing. So I was reflecting in poetry. I wrote about night shift, day shift. Um, I wrote, uh, you know, the woman of the nineties. I wrote a poem about our mentors, um, about how like a bird, the nurse is like a bird flittering, fluttering, you know, watching everybody with intuition. I wrote about intuition. So there's 40 poems that were created and went into this first book in 93, Poetic Expressions in Nursing, Sharing the Caring. Uh, I published it with a nurse-owned publishing company back then. And I did continuing education, teaching nurses poetry. I developed a, you know, a CE program. I taught that in Sweden. Remember I was talking about Sweden. Yeah. So I did a lot with the poetry. It changed my life. This, this one poem made me create, I had a business doing personalized poetry for people for retirements, birthdays, sympathy, whatever. I've done a lot of really cool stuff with the poetry. Uh, this is all in the 90s. That's and awesome. then, in, <laughs> and thank you. Um, by the end, let's see, by 98. Oh, and I also worked in Duke University in research, cardiothoracic surgery, cardiac anesthesia, uh, and and cardiology. So I had really cool time in research. And then in 98, I became a mom and I took four years off from 98 to 2002 and was a mommy. She's 23 now, my love bug. And uh, <laughs> so that kind of interrupted the poetry back in like 97, 98, after doing all that, took a break till 2004, I mean, 2002, did some more legal nurse consulting Uh, And then in 2007, (laughs) we moved to Boston and they needed a real nurse to play nurse in Ricky Gervais' movie, The Invention of Lying. (laughs) Are you in that movie? I'm going to have to watch Uh, it. (laughs) Well, (laughs) so they called me up. I remember they said, can you be in this casino scene, blah, 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 before they knew I was a nurse. And I go, oh, I'm going to be away that weekend or whatever. And they said, are you available? Wait a minute. They said, you've got nursing on your acting resume. Are you really a nurse? I said, yes. (laughs) you be available these four days blah 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 blah. I said yes will I get my SAG card you know for continuity yes if you do three or more background days so I was a background nurse however I was with the first team I was with Ricky Gervais that's uh, awesome Bateman um um not at the Spotovich and uh Roz Ryan in these scenes where it's very 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 interesting scene i'm not going to tell you about it. you guys have to watch it it's from well, 20, I, I will link it absolutely. yeah the adventure line and that and the reason i got into the film stuff is my daughter is also an actor she was in a few films in san jose before we moved to boston so i was watching the process of filmmaking when she, when i was her guardian on set basically okay this is really cool so yeah. then i you know, and I did theater at age 50. I did Annie with her and I was cast as Mrs. Greer. It was a dancing and singing role. You know, it was absolutely so much fun. So my point is, I know I'm digressing. It's never too late to reinvent. It's never too late to, to discover or rediscover your passions if they are creative, never. So, um, that film was the first film. I got my SAG card 
I then worked on The Edge of Darkness. I worked on The Fighter. I worked on a lot of films that were on location in the Boston area. And then <clears throat> we moved to San Diego. <laughs> and most of the filming, of course, is in LA. So I did yeah. a little bit in LA. But then I became a PR uh, publicist, a you know, public relations consultant with a theater, a, a professional theater here in 2010 for about four to five years, joined their board and did their PR to get the word out about the shows they were doing, these professional shows. And then in 2016, I became a uh, freelance publicist and PR. So I've worked with theaters, musicians, filmmakers, authors, many authors, as well as businesses. And that's led me up to today in a nutshell <laughs> in my diversified life. <laughs> it's a great diversified life. Like this is someone that, you know, you can literally Crazy. look back on your life or have others look back on your life. And like, you know, if you find passion things and things kind of like lead you down this road. And if you keep saying like, yes, to like what you really love about stuff and what you're passionate about, it could lead you to some cool things like getting your SAG card, you know, or like having your own like PR firm and freelancing over it or writing poetry and just like having that lead you to so many other creative things. Like who would have exactly. thought poetry would have Never. led you to getting your SAG card down exactly. the road, all, right? all, and, and I'm also a nature photographer. I'm a bird watcher. And so I've been in art exhibits as well for veterans and, um, you know, different creative opportunities in all different phases here. And it's like, I love life. And then the pandemic hit. <laughs> and I thought, what the heck is going on? So I released the second edition of the book this year because I have such heartfelt feelings about the nursing profession and I want to celebrate nurses. I want the public to know about, you know, how valuable we are and how stressed out nurses are and so burnt sad. out and even suicidal and unbelievable and, and depressed and anxious. All these emotions because they're dealing with others' problems and they're just so sad right now. I mean, it's been a very tough year and a half that we never anticipated. I never did in all my life. Um, and I just want the world to know how special nurses are. And if this is one way with a book, I mean, I am getting good feedback and that people that are not nurses love the book. They say, this poem about whatever really touched me. Like there's one about caregivers. It's got nothing to do with nursing, but caregiving for an elderly parent. Um, Sorrow shared about, it's a sympathy poem for whoever. I've used it in different cards that I've sent people that have passed that are in the family or friends. Um, so my point with the book is celebrating things about nursing, stories from my life, um, things about day shift, night shift, hearing people talk in an elevator about patients. Um, some, of, some of these poems are funny or farce. Um, one about a physician when I was in the Navy, I'll never forget. He would go into the break room and steal the patient's food, like, you know, in the food refrigerator, like the jello. <laughs> and there's a poem about that. There's a poem about that. Assertiveness circa 1970, whatever it was, whatever year it was. So, you know, I try to, uh, I just try to educate and inspire and motivate and celebrate with this book. That's great. Cause I, I mean, you, it, it's so, it's so on point when you, you know, when you release this book in 2021 after a pandemic that shut down everything. And I always wonder myself, like, you know, when the AIDS pandemic hit, I don't think there was this much press and there was not this much self press that people 
can give themselves, right? Like on TikTok, on Twitter, on Instagram. And I think that that weighs heavily on people because I think to myself, like, why are we so, you know, crazy right now as people, as humans? And there can't be this much, you know, like outside of the um, pandemic, right? There can't be this much murder, right? There can't be this much of this, like just, mm-hmm. just kind of like asking questions, right? And I always talk to people about this because I'm like, do you think it's because there's so much more out there that we're aware of? And awareness has created this whole mindset of like craziness in, in ourselves and we just don't know how to handle it. There's no control over it, right? Because people can just do whatever they want now. People can give themselves self-press. And I always kind of revert back to this sort of thing that you've created with like poems and I'm like where is the beauty in all this right where is that level of you know let's try to like express ourselves but do it so in such a positive way right that instead of like putting the burden on people we can lift them up with a creative endeavor like poetry right and you know because I don't think that there was this uh much out there during other pandemics I mean there's been other pandemics there's been the flu pandemic the AIDS pandemic not quite as a shutdown as COVID, right? And I also think to myself, like, you know, when something happens and you've, you're just watching CNN all the time, it's just 24 <laughs> seven for eight days straight of the same story. Yeah. And if we shut the world off for a little while and just focus on things, like you mentioned, like the sunset, how much better that would be, you know? And I'm gonna have to buy this book now because I'm gonna read this poetry. Oh no, no <laughs> And it'll no, no. exist in the back of my, of my reference library here. We're going to talk, we're going to talk about that later, right after you'll, you'll have a copy. Um, yeah, but but it's, it's just beautiful to hear these things that, you know, because it's so easy to take something and make it so others feel kind of like angst or regret or something Mm -hmm. like that. Whereas you create something and perhaps it's, it might be surrounding angst or regret, but it's something beautiful and kind of like focuses on nature. Right. It's recognizing the angst. Definitely. And then seeing, seeing something else or seeing a process of something, just working stuff out on paper, you know, getting it out. Like I said, some people can cook or dance or do whatever. There's some kind of a creative outlet is so important for nurses and everybody, I think, in the world, yeah. especially during this time. Yeah. You now, know? did you always know that you were like a poet? Did you have this nope. feeling of like, oh, I'm going to write, you know, a haiku or something like that? Well, I knew... I've always had excellent rhythm from dance. Okay. In fact, I have um, bongo drums and I just love. Yeah. Like I have a really good, I I could do songs in my head. Um, And whenever I'm, even when I was a nurse and as a person, when people cross the street, they have taken their own time. I walk with purpose. I get across before that light changes in the middle of the street to get there because it's of a, it's it's compassion for the rest of the people that have to drive with their cars afterwards too yeah. um so rhythm is important to me so I wasn't always a poet but I had rhythm and uh, zest about life okay and there's something about me I don't know if it's empathy compassion or, or what the word is but I get people okay I and I use my intuition yeah that's extremely valued for yeah. me um so that's and then you know so that first poem was the impetus and the catalyst to do it and then I just kept doing it haiku is fabulous too and I I've been teaching haiku for the last two years in our San Diego County library system um 
with the branches. So this is for the general public. It's a two hour workshop. It's on my website and I go through a PowerPoint, but I use my nature photography as prompts to help people write. I do a little lecture, show these pictures and people choose which photos they wanna write about where they could look out the window and write something. And then we all come back together. People that wanna share will share or they keep it to themselves or they throw it out. But the people that share, then I ask them, how about if I use it in my blog and then you'll be published? That's so awesome. it's like a full That's circle. Great, like, yeah. yeah, full circle, giving someone an opportunity. And you wouldn't that, believe the stories that come out of people, you I know? Bet. Oh, I bet. I, you know, I, I think to myself so much on my philosophy classes, right? And I remember taking a perspectives on death class. Mm-hmm. And I think every nursing program needs a perspectives on death class because it's so important to know how people die and why they die. Totally and agree. One of, one of my favorite books is actually a Japanese, um, <clears throat> it, I think it's called Death Poems and they're oh. Japanese haikus. And the, it's such a fabulous book because all the haikus are written kind of like right before someone dies. And mm. it offers such a great poetic like look into their lives and really kind of brings perspectives of, of just this horrible thing that's about to happen, but they're completely at peace with it, you know? Exactly, exactly. And they've written about it and they're gonna share it with you so that you know that their life wasn't taken in vain. It wasn't, you know, horrible. It was this beautiful thing. Exactly. And here we are. So yeah, that's a great book for listeners to, to know as well. Um, I don't know if I have it here. You know something, when I look up my book on Amazon, I see that death poems book. They put it up there on my page. You know how they do Japanese like, death poems. Recommend it. Yes, it's a yes. great book. Yeah, exactly. if, if it's that'd be cool if you did like a like a whole like package deal with it. Yeah, package deal. <laughs> you know, because it's such a great I like know. It's, it's such a great book that really like just brings everything in perspective. I remember trying to introduce it to. So we have this library that I kind of redid on our unit, and I I donated. Uh, a ton of books to it just because I want other people to read other things than like you know dinosaur textbooks from literally the 1920s about neurosurgery that no one was opening so I ended up putting a lot of books in there to kind of stimulate people's minds in a way that perhaps was different than what you were normally supposed to read and and one of them was the Japanese death poem book and I remember getting this feedback like why would you put poems on death in our unit I said because people die here and I said, we have to read things to help us get better at this because people will always die on our unit. I mean, no matter what you do, it's an ICU and it's a neurotrauma ICU. And, and unfortunately, horrible head traumas happen and strokes and brain bleeds and right. brain cancers that it's going to happen. And you, and you have to move forward with it, you know? Exactly. Exactly.